welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast that's predictably, probably, reliably about board games. I just switched up the intro. That wasn't predictable or reliable, but that's fine. With me on this podcast is, as sometimes, Ava Foxfort. I am unreliably on this board games that oh that was almost i thought you were gonna say on this podcast and that would have been like almost true in that like i guess every member of the team is unreliably on the podcast at this point yeah no you never know what you're gonna get it's like a box of chocolates although most box of chocolates you can actually predict quite closely because of the branding what's actually going to be in there so i've always thought that's a weird metaphor but you don't know what you're getting with podcasts so maybe forrest gump should have talked about that it's a box of chocolates but there are four chocolates and you'll get a random arrangement of them mostly only two at a time yeah but yes, it. sometimes deal. you're gonna get three sometimes you're gonna get four sometimes they're gonna be in yeah. person sometimes they're gonna be on the internet anything could happen it's a quantum chock box quantum chock board games <laughs> schrodinger's chock box welcome to our new podcast <laughs> That's one of the little fun tags that's going to go on the website right there. You can take that one to the bank. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about two board games, two entire games. We're going to be talking about 1941 Race to Moscow, a game about racing to Moscow and being Nazis. And we're going to talk about Cosmic Frog, a game about racing to Moscow and being Nazis. <laughs> that's just not true. No, but that, the thing is, it could be true. As far as I know, Cosmic Frog, you definitely have spent like at least 20 minutes talking to me about what goes on in that thing. I still have no idea. So I'm really looking forward to having that experience again in just a little bit. The frogs you see are a metaphor. Uh, sting, I guess. <laughs> So, first off, I want to talk about a little thing called 1941 Race to Moscow. Uh, this is a war game, which is a thing that we don't actually cover a lot. I'm probably more into war games than the rest of the team. We had a good chat about Undaunted, which is like an absolute brilliant bit of the genre. Um, and today we're talking about Race to Moscow, which is a sequel to Race to the Rhine which has got a different year at the beginning of it. This is 1941, I think that's 1944. And puts you on a different side of Europe and a different side of the war. You're, you're, you're the baddies in this one. I mean, war is bad. So, like, yeah, I don't know. War's bad. Normally, I sort of love being, you know, like the baddies in games. But in this example... These are these are quite bad baddies, unfortunately. The really, really bad baddies, and like I really yeah. think it is important that one of the things that like you think about when you're talking about war games is the fact that like some people get into games like this for very much the wrong reasons, and <laughs> uh, be careful because those people are horrible, and Nazis is like a real thing that did a huge amount of damage and is still hurting people today it's like when you see those twitter threads where there are people that like play hearts of iron or like other historical simulationist games and they're like if i was hitler i would have done this and you're like okay big yikes big yikes <laughs> yeah. off the bat for that one pal yeah yeah but you're probably not coming into this game like that are you Ava? i'm definitely not coming into this game like that i'm coming into this game because i'd heard that these were a couple of games that were relatively easy introductions to the wargaming hobby um that is because they take a relatively simplified look at a simple campaign in this case racing to moscow so this is the wehrmacht um trying to invade asia 
in a land war in winter, which is famously not very easy, and you're all trying to race. So you are three different divisions of the German army, all on the same side, but with a little bit of Eastern Europe for your army to race across. You have a couple of little troops on the map, and you have a couple of little tanks on the map, and they all start down at the bottom of the board and have this appealing swathe of lumps of cities and towns and objectives and a line of Soviet markers that are the people you are trying to race through in this game. Now, the thing that makes Race to Moscow interesting is that it's not a... It's not even really a strategic game. Like the, strate the strategy is laid out for you by the fact that you need to get to Moscow or you need to get as many of these objectives as possible before time runs out um, and the game is over. Um, you are actually playing the logistics department. This is a weird game because you are playing Hitler's logistics team, like the office manager um, <laughs> Right. Which is a, a little bit odd. There's a bit of randomness in the game in that there's these decks of cards that you'll be revealing that is what happens when you enter a space that will require you to spend amount of supplies. But everything is very rote. There's no dice that you're rolling. It's just a question of, have I got enough fuel and bullets oh my God. in this place to deal with this problem? So you're not just moving these tanks and armies forwards. You're actually building railway lines behind them to try and get the resources to them. And the bulk of the game is in figuring out clever ways of piggybacking a lot of uh, little resource tokens from the back to the front of the board. And then if you hit something, you, you reveal a card, you see what army is there, and you can either defeat it or you can't, depending on how much you've got of the supplies. And and that that's it. You are just racing across this. And on that level, I thought this was going to be a quite exciting prospect. Um, the theming does unsettle me. I do think war is awful. <laughs> I do think Nazis are really awful. And I'm a bit uncomfortable about that. But if you are happy delving into bits of history and taking this as a study in like, how do these things work? How do these things happen? Uh, I think there is fun to be had in war games. And I think there's definitely interesting stuff to be done in historical games that simulate interesting things and give you a new perspective of it. Now, this isn't really that apart from maybe reminding <laughs> you that war is basically logistics it's basically like can you shuffle goods around um and that's mm. an interesting lesson to learn um and actually quite useful for for all sorts of things like so much of what we do in life like running a business is mostly about logistics like if you ever talk to a board game publisher they will probably want to talk to you about logistics at some point because the biggest puzzle of the whole <laughs> hobby is how do you get 10,000 boxes from China to virtually everywhere in the world as efficiently and cheaply as possible without making anyone so unhappy. Board game designers really just, I mean, really what you're saying is they just have it the best because they get to create a big puzzle that they then have to ship out in the form of another big puzzle. It's puzzle central. Yeah, no, it they, couldn't be. It, life couldn't be sweeter. They love it. That's all I can say. <laughs> they absolutely love it. Um, uh, but yeah, so there's a bit of a lesson to learn here, um, and the principle of it is simple enough, but the detail of it is not 
quite right. On your turn, you take two actions out of a long list of actions with slightly specific rules. Uh, then you get to build a bit of railroad. Uh, and then the Soviets kind of attack back uh, in the Soviet reaction phase. Um, and the base game of this, like the standard game, there's a variant that I think might make this a lot more interesting. But the base game of it basically gives you a procedure you have to follow for where the Soviets are going to bolster what they're going to reinforce mm. what they're going to do and you have like a general that is running that area of the russian forces and is yeah deciding okay we want to defend this sort of stuff so we're putting tokens here and here um and it's just so procedural so every time this could have been a very quick and, st and nippy game if it hadn't been for the fact that at the end of everyone's turn, you had to just spend a little while like looking at the whole of the board and going like, okay, so is that closer to that than that is? Is that mm. in supply? Is that not in supply? Could you be encircled there? Um, there's a lot of interesting routes up the map. There's some weird dynamics in the the person who's on the left side has a lot less military resources, but they've also got boats. Uh, which means what? yeah boats which means that they can blockade larger areas and actually have like almost have shortcuts up to the top so they sort of set a timer for everyone else and everyone else is deciding am i going to spread out and try and find more stuff and get some of these objectives or am i going to literally race to moscow get to one of the big cities at the end and just hammer through it can i do that can I move as quickly as my supplies can? Can I do that efficiently? There's a lot of interesting decisions here, but the detail of it got very uh, gritty and clogged up and uh, stopped the logistics pushing game being as fun as I was hoping. That sounds a lot like my experience with war games generally, where I really like the concept or the ideas that are at the core of these things, but then I struggle with sort of the volume of rules. And it doesn't sound like here it's necessarily a rules thing, it's more just an admin thing, which maybe that's quite fitting for a game about logistics, <laughs> that you spend a lot of the game doing some big admin. Oh, I don't know, you're doing someone else's admin though. It's like, <laughs> it's like when you're doing your own, that's great, that's a fun puzzle. When you're doing someone else's, it's just like, oh no, no, why do I have to work this out again? Especially as it right. doesn't really lead to many interesting game states. Now there is, in the back of the manual for this, a load of variants, including one where when you get to place a Soviet marker, you just decide where it goes. Um, so mm -hmm. you can be mean to your other players. And so I think they've kind of like softened the meanness by taking making that not be the base version of the game and i think that right. could be really interesting but in a way that makes a game that is a war game where you don't actually fight each other back into something that's really direct conflict <laughs> and yeah i don't know um there's also some problems the rule book and the player aid uh, disagree on a couple of rules points in a way that oh. is incredibly infuriating and some of the rules just aren't quite laid out as clearly as they need to be so some of it is that the um the board games logistics aren't working internally quite right and uh, that <laughs> gummed up the gears a bit um i would kind of i sat around with everybody and everyone said they kind of wanted to play it again but they wouldn't <laughs> 
Um, like right. everyone was curious that they think there might be something interesting there, but it didn't make them excited enough for it. Um, I don't know if Race yes. to Rhine is a bit stronger. It does mean that you get away from the uh, the problematic stuff of uh, trying to compete to be the best Nazi. Um, uh, but there's probably <laughs> still some war atrocities being done along the way because war is genuinely really horrible and i don't want to make no. light of that fact um no yeah no i've, I've heard i've heard some bad things um <laughs> about, about this war character. This war guy war guy always getting up to something um mm. yeah so i almost liked it i almost liked okay. it and i think it's close and i think it's a shame that something that is for a i mean you looked at this on board game geek and were like oh my god look how bland that looks and i was like no tom <laughs> this is the sexiest war game i've seen in ages it's got like quite nice graphic designs throughout and everything is kind of like solid in there um i think it went through a kickstarter stage so like some of the pieces included in it are a little bit fancier than they really needed to be um i see and yeah it does seem really interesting to me that this is something that you're describing as a war game but like it's almost a question of why to me because it seems more like just a standard sort of euro game or like just a race with like this logistical element like it's i always get confused about what the broad category of war game encircles and this this doesn't even seem like it has any actual wargamey elements or does it i don't know maybe i'm well out my if bum. you just give me a moment i'll just look up the rules for encirclement um, and then we'll know that. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I think that this is one of those things that is attempting to be a crossover. I think there's an amount of sure. this is, this could be a Euro game. This could be themed about um, a farmers racing across a set of fields or like it, it could be anything. Like I say, logistics is everywhere. This could have been on the Panama Canal. This could have been, and like there's some simplicity mm. in making it about war because it means that, people understand the kind of terms of it but it also adds the horror of war to the experience <laughs> and i think that the problem comes with the fact and i i resent saying this because you said earlier that the thing that's put you off war games is that there's this flood of rules that end up overwhelming you and not making you uh, not actually providing the thing that you got excited about. And I find that yeah. frustrating because I think the best war games, which are few and far between, um, really transcend that. And every little detail becomes something that is important, adds value to the game and adds something. This is not doing that. This feels like there's mm. a core of a really solid, interesting system. And then a lot of fiddly details that are in there for reasons where they nest shouldn't necessarily be and this right, thing okay. of trying to accommodate a more like euro game like lower conflict uh trying to accommodate a lower conflict approach to games means that they made what's probably the much more interesting version of the game be a variant that i didn't try out mm. and now i'm so tired of it that i can't actually bring myself to try it out <laughs> even though some of the variants <laughs> sounded really cool and actually i think there there may be really interesting stuff in there so if this does sound up your street i don't think you're going to have a horrible time with it there's new player aids available online and there's new ways of doing things but this isn't the game that i'm going to say people who are curious about war games you need to go out and try this um because there's just too many obstacles here so my other question then would be what 
is that game that you think people could maybe get their little way into war games on or is that too complicated a question oh i i should have an easy answer for it but i don't of course i don't i mean really the answer is probably still undaunted and that feels like a cop-out because that feels like um it's very thoroughly a war game in that it is describing war it is conflict it is dice rolling it's direct a direct battle like it's a tactical level war game it borrows some ideas from combat commander which is one of my like all-time favorites um and it is good but it is definitely a it's a war film game right I think, Undaunted. It's like, it's trying to tell you the story of it and it's got some of the grimness of it and it's not, it's not really, yeah, diving deep into that. So in the end, what I do actually say with war games is that don't start with the game. Like, think about a bit of history that you would like to know more about. Think about an area of the world that you're interested in, a conflict that you would like to know more about. Uh, Listen to a ridiculously long podcast about one niche piece of history until you get (laughs) excited enough to be wanting to kind of push through the limits of something, to be wanting to do something, to learn these complicated rules and dig into a load of exceptions that give you that historical richness like once you pick a period it's easier to find a game that will actually work for you um i see because it's that or i start saying well technically like what you should do is get your regular twilight imperium gang to play here i stand um (laughs) and like i do kind of believe that i think a lot of people would get a lot out of that but also no, that is not the accessible starting point for more <laughs> games. I do think that's a smart way of looking at it, though, is to say that, like, your passion for the history side of things might be what pulls you through the grit, you know, on the other side. Um, yeah, and I've ended up, like, seeing a game with an exciting system and then, like, being like, oh, I want to try that out, and then becoming, like, faintly obsessed with that period of history for a while. Right, um, right. Even with games I never So it can get work both ways, I guess. Yeah, it can work both ways. But I think in terms of getting into it, it's good to find something that you have a relationship to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other tip is, of course, that like Twilight Struggle is broadly thought of to be the best uh, war game uh, out there by quite a large number of people. I prefer 1989, but we're not going to get into that. Um, but it does also have a really good digital implementation. So if you want to learn something deep and rich and hard, you can go on the digital version. Don't play on live and against real people yet because you will just get trounced and it'll be a miserable experience. But you can learn how to play <laughs> using the systems in there and then find someone who's learning at the same pace as you. And if you just have a dueling series of Twilight Struggle or a similar sort of uh, car-driven war game, you are going to have a bit of a whale of a time while you discover the systems and things that are in there. Cool. Maybe that was a recommendation. Oh, I don't know. That sounded like a recommendation. Ring the bell. Tom, 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 Tom. Yes. Tell me about Cosmic Frog again. We actually played Cosmic Frog. Well, I say we, I played Cosmic Frog, which means I'm going to be the only member on the team who actually understands how that game works. 
forever it will sort of live in in you and Matt's memory, I guess, as this hazy, dreamlike thing. If you wanted to hear our original chat about Cosmic Frog, our original delirious impressions of this incredibly bizarre game, you can hear it on one of the live podcasts from UK Games Expo, where we chatted about Cosmic Frog, having only learned some of the rules. I got myself a copy, went away, learned the rules for real, and have played it on an actual table, and now, as a world first... I can explain how this game actually works. How exciting is that? Nobody's ever known how this game works before. I've seen a lot of people recommend it, but nobody's <laughs> really truly played it. Not until yeah, a lot Tom of people reckon they it. know what it's about, but they didn't read those dog dang rules. Whereas me, I sat down and I studied the frog. I dissected the frog, and now I know it's inner workings on this podcast. Tom belch me out some rules in this game you all play cosmic frogs with eternally hungry stars in your bellies you've got to digest as much terrain as you can to store it in your vault your vault is this bank full of tiles that you're going to score at the end of the game so really all this game is is just a simple little game of collecting tiles i can't believe that you're telling me that this is actually just a game about moving around and collecting tiles it really is <laughs> it's just that simple but it's just got a big beat em up on top because the way that you're going to fill your vault normally with these point scoring tiles by hopping around on this big map that's called the shard that's made up of lots of these tiny little hexagonal tiles when you stand on a nice tasty looking piece of terrain you can harvest it which is an action and popping it into your into your gullet which is a little separate player board that shows the tiles that your frog is currently swallowing i suppose the only way that you can digest those delicious tiles is by jumping off the shard into the ether, which is kind of like the space around the edge of the board. It's not one terrain tile, it's just sort of a general area. And you can disgorge those tiles into your vault. And the sort of aim of the game, loosely, is to build up a kind of combination of tiles in your vault that scores a pleasing pattern. If you have rows uh, of tiles, you can score them for more and more and more points. Like, just one tile on its own doesn't score that many. But if you have it in a line inside your sort of grid of tiles in your vault, you can score all those tiles at once at the end of the game for a bunch of points. And that's most of the game. The thing is... Whilst you could just hop around on this big space shard merrily munching away, a more efficient way to get tiles is for other players to do the harvesting for you and for you to then waddle up to them and give them a big old biffing. Uh, trying to either steal tiles straight out of their gullet while they're still on the land, or when you're in the ether, you can try and punch them into the outer dimensions, which is a separate bit of board that you can then raid their actual like point scoring vault that they're piling tiles into. Did any of that make sense? I kind of lost you at gullet, but yeah, no. So <laughs> it sounds like there's a couple of different boards, some rules for how you move around. You're picking up tiles, but you're also biffing each other about and people can go yep. off the board and that's bad, but also uh you're in space and everything's got a weird name is it just like quite a straightforward game but they've just given everything a stupid name and now it sounds like you're doing something really dramatic but actually you're just playing chess my number one problem with this game is it's absolutely baffling rule book which matt thinks is like genuinely kind of like a fun joke that the designer is kind of playing on the audience that makes the game sound more complicated than it needs to be when really it's quite straightforward 
I just think it's in need of a really serious edit yeah. because what you do in this game is so simple. You basically have two actions, which are just move and hit, and you sort of vary those actions depending on where you're stood. So for example, if you punch someone while they're on the land, knockback will kind of push them across the terrain and destroy some tiles. Whereas if you're in space, in the ether, if you punch them, they go into the outer dimensions. There's a little mini game there. Right. So it's like, it is like the beat em up thing of like, you actually only have a punch and a kick button. I mean, we're talking about beat-em-ups from like a million years ago at this point. You have, a, <laughs> you have a punch and a kick button, but depending on how you're moving the joystick, what you're facing, what direction you're in, it will actually do a range of different manoeuvres and stuff. So that's where the complexity is coming from. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. You have a couple of other actions at your disposal, like you have the ability to harvest, which is just take some tiles off the board, but all the other actions are very straightforward. It's really just moving and hitting that are the complicated ones. And then there are some special rules about like specifically how you can disgorge tiles but it, it's a really simple suite of like four actions but there's like 10 that are listed on the action cards which makes it really daunting for people to get into and really it's quite simple and the way that i've started teaching the game to people is to basically ignore a lot of the terminology that's in yeah. the rule book and kind of just go with my own flow of how the game works because it's it's easier it's yeah. easier is the is there is the game solid and underneath all of the gullets and the uh i can't even remember any of the other silly things the vaults vault oh my god the belching and the knocking <laughs> back and and the regurgitating underneath all of that just if you had this as an abstract game which didn't have this stuff, no wait let's not do that because that's not fair if you just had these pieces yeah. and with you teaching the rules in a simple and comprehensible manner, is it good? I think that this is a really, really good example of a theme, not just elevating the mechanics, but kind of making the mechanics like relevant or important or interesting. Because I think without the theme, this game would be such a hard sell. But with it, it's kind of amazing. Because there's something about the specific combination of language and mechanics here that means that you really do feel like a two mile high frog smacking another mile <laughs> high frog into space. Everything's done with big chunky dice when you do big hits. The art is like psychedelic and crazy. Like it feels kind of kinetic in a way that I really didn't anticipate. There's sort of this flow of the game like when we started playing everyone sort of went around and just kind of like slowly harvested tiles and almost played like this kind of action efficiency euro game where they just tried to pick up tiles and then quietly go and vomit them up into a vault on their own time but then people kind of realize that this game is kind of wrestling it's this game of like propelling your frog across the arena just smack one of them in the face and you could hear like dope smoker playing in the background or something it's, this it's just sounds fantastic. like a school disco <laughs> like <laughs> sure yeah it's a sort of uh it, it's a metaphor we said that in the <laughs> intro it's a metaphor for a school disco um there's like the thing that this game is is it's it's dumb it's silly it's not meant to be taken that seriously it's very much a game of like just kind of biffing each other around it's quite easy to recover it's not there's not huge losses in this game and when there are huge losses they are very funny <laughs> it's kind of it reminds me so much of a game that shares half of the namesake of cosmic encounter even down to the fact that the way that you choose your turn in this game is pulling a card off the top of the deck that tells you whose turn it is rather than who you're fighting <laughs> but the caveat to all this is that I do think at times it can be like almost too silly <laughs> in that I think that 
I prefer Cosmic's way of doing this, where everyone has turns in a row where they will do their thing, just question mark, question mark, as to who they're fighting. Whereas Cosmic Frog's relationship to turn order, meaning that like sometimes you could have one player taking their turn three times in a row, where they just get to like hoover up a bunch of stuff and cash it in, whereas everyone else has to plod around slowly. It's quite hard to plan for any sort of future turn in this game. You have to just play it entirely tactically. Yeah. And sometimes you can just have no good tactics available. And I imagine that sort of stops it from becoming a like thinky fest where you are trying to chess out all of the moves and see what all of the reactions mm. are. Because if you just don't know what's happening next, all you can do is what suits you best now. And that just cuts down your options so much and gives you more room for making mistakes and putting yourself in interesting positions, which sounds like what it's about. It sounds like there's an interesting thing about how you are positioned into with other people being mm. making you vulnerable or powerful, right? There's lots of stuff where like you'll see a really juicy bumper crop of tiles and you'll land your frog there and then everyone else sort of turns up at the same time and there's this slight standoff of who's going to punch who first or who's going to be the fool that harvests the tile only to just get punched off into space. Like, I there's so... I can't overestimate like how much theme there actually is in this game. Like the way that when you get biffed back, like when you get, there's a mechanic called knockback. Basically you'll roll two dice in every combat. The difference between the dice is how far you get punched back. <laughs> and there was a roll in this game where like someone rolled, everyone on the table went, ooh, like they just saw someone getting smacked in the jaw and their frog flies across the map. And like they destroy the tile that they land on, which is kind of uh, cute okay. as well. The, the game is like, it's very Super Smash Bros, but it's not like sweaty, competitive Smash Bros. It's like couch Smash Bros, where you're just thumping each other for fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that I do like this game, and I think that initially I was really reticent to like it because every time I heard people describe it, they just described it in terms of the theme, which is what I've basically ended up doing because it's really hard to disentangle like the fun of this game from its theme. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I think what you were just describing there, like I think the fact that I'm like kind of glibly and revealing a lot about how weird my school was comparing it to a school disco or they're just listening <laughs> to you talk there and just being like, oh, it's just a brawler, right? It's just like this yes. is a pub fight. This is a, a silly comedy pub fight between giant frogs in space. And it's not actually the giant frogs in space there that is the theme that you're saying it's landing well necessarily. That's just something mm. to get you excited and something to look good on the table. But what you're describing right. is a silly fight where everyone wants to see what's happening because anything could happen and people can get hurt it does it sounds like wrestling and it doesn't sound like uh in like careful precise gymnastic wrestling it sounds like <laughs> uh ridiculous masks and makeup and yes. gimmicks about being a dragon actually and yeah it sounds it sounds fun I am, unlike the last time when I came out of it thinking that like you'd all, I'd, I'd, either I'd had a stroke or you'd all um, had some kind of hallucinogenic experience together and were then trying to explain it to me. This, this explanation of it makes me think for the first time with this game, I've heard a lot of people be excited about, but I've not heard a lot of people <laughs> communicate that clearly. 
is just like, oh, wait, it's just like a proper silly fighter. Because there aren't <laughs> a lot of those. Most fighting games end yeah. up being like, ah, oh, we have to be precise. We have to be balanced. We have to be clever. Mm-hmm. We have to be a sportsman-like contest. When actually some fighting games, you just want to be like rounding around a pub and potentially like knocking someone to the other side of space. Um, yes. Yeah. There's something um, like sort of the, the the pinnacle. The last thing I think I'll talk about is the fact that uh, the the core of all the art in this game are these ability cards that you get. And your frog will at any time have a single ability. And there's a cute detail where if you get knocked into the outer dimensions, you mutate while you're out there. So you come back stranger <laughs> uh, with a different fresh ability. But there's something, again, I think borrowed from Cosmic Encounter where there's a rule in the game where you don't have to reveal your ability card until you get whacked. And then the ability cards are incredibly straightforward in a way that just means like you are the frog that does this. And they give you a real direction as a player. They give you your sort of luchador mask. Like your mask might be you are massive and you just do shed loads of damage and you are huge, which is very funny when like a little frog comes over to fight you and you flip the card and suddenly they're fighting the biggest thing in the universe and you deck them. Um, but there's also like frogs that can do hypnosis. There's frogs that kind of do poison. There's teleporting ones. And they give you just a little gimmick, a little twist of like player expression that lets you be a little bit silly and lets you do an annoying thing that no one else can do. And I think that's like maybe the, the core of it is that you have this relationship with silliness in this game. Yeah. There is this kind of like everyone just gets to have their own little section of silly. Um, and oh, I love that. I do you know really what? Sweet. I'm going to have to get this for all of my wrestling friend fans. Wait, I'm going to have to get this for like my friends who play board games and who are also really into wrestling because it really does <laughs> sound like that's what they're going for here. Like, yeah, yeah gimmicks and, and my, my, chaos. And my thing with it is like, I think that ultimately, like, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at next to Cosmic Encounter on my shelf and I'm looking at the like nice swanky new expansion I just got for Cosmic that makes it into a campaign game and I'm thinking like. I do think a lot of the things that this game does, Cosmic also does, and it does it sort of like more. Mm. It has more abilities. It has more silliness. It has more modules, more ways of having player expression. It also has this negotiation element that I love. They are fundamentally quite different games in terms of their relationship to like smacking, punching, wrestling, fighting. Like this is a very much free for all, whereas Cosmic is a very different kind of like almost at times team-based or player-driven team experience. Yeah, I mean, Cosmic Encounter just has more bullying in it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I don't, I don't necessarily think there's room for sort of both in my collection. So Ava, I'll happily post you a cosmic frog, and you can show it to all of your wrestling. Hey, I'm going to um, stick that down my gullet until it can be digested into my vault, because that's what I do with the things I am sent. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We talked about some games. We talked about 1940. What's it? I'm going to Moscow. And we talked about Cosmo Frogo. Cosmo That's Frogo. That's about it. I, I, you know what? I said I'd lead this sort of little outro segment. I'd be like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I'll finish out the podcast. But then I forgot what we say. <laughs> what do we say in this We bit? say thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you've enjoyed thank it. Thank you to everyone If for you want to give us any hope you've feedback, like, just let us know. There's comments on the yep. website. You can check oh, out our YouTube this. channel. There's reviews. Oh, so like and subscribe. Hit that oh. smash button and Combo. goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>